0: So just a little bit of historical backdrop, Um, not spend much time, but let's just talk a little bit about the history of what was happening in this day when Elijah made this declaration that there would be no rain. We know that Ahab was the king. Jezebel was his wife. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 16 that Ahab was more evil than any other king that lived. And it continues by saying that he did more to anger the Lord God than any other leader, any other king in his day. It was a terrible time. The nation had fallen to its most deplorable state in history. Idolatry and perversion were widespread. The people had blatantly rejected God's word as the supreme authority for their lives. The sins, their sins had reached an apex, a climax where God said, that's it. I'm not going to just stand back and, and remain silent anymore. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to do something. And God says that he was going to bring judgment upon the nation because they had rejected him. They were worshiping idols and they were involved in all of this evil activity. So. In this, though, we have to understand that God actually had a plan to restore the people. So the judgment wasn't to destroy them. The judgment was to correct them and to bring them back to himself. So what does God do? Well, God unveils his plan. He has a secret weapon, a chosen instrument, a prophet, a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah would confront King Ahab. And would pronounce God's judgment on the land. It says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, Elijah continued, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's powerful. Come on, there's not going to be any rain, king. There won't even be dew on the ground until my word is pronounced. Until the next time you hear me speak on the Lord's behalf, it's not going to be any rain, any dew. And immediately after this prophetic word was released, the heavens were sealed tight. There was no rain, no dew in the land. And of course, in a matter of just a few months, Israel began to experience the devastating effects of this drought. A severe famine overtook the land, and everyone, animals and people, suffered terribly. In the midst of all of this, after Elijah pronounced this word. God speaks to him and summons him to go into hiding. Verse number three and four. Get away from here. Turn eastward. Hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, obviously, just by sheer necessity, Elijah had to flee for his life. The king wanted to kill him. The king wanted to to take him out. So God says, I've got to take care of you. I've got to watch over you. And so go and hide yourself in this strategic place. This place is called Kerith and the Hebrew language. And a cursory read of this narrative would suggest that the sole purpose for the Lord commanding Elijah to go hide himself at the brook Kerith was that of provision for his preservation, And undoubtedly, we know that the Lord had promised he's going to take care of Elijah. When everyone else is suffering, when everyone else is feeling the effects of this drought, God promised, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you, albeit by very unconventional means. God says, I'm going to send ravens, unclean birds, and they're going to bring you meat in the morning and the evening, and you're going to drink water from this brook. And we know that this was for a period of time, and then eventually the brook dried up. We don't know exactly how long it was, but we know that the drought lasted for more than three years. So here is Elijah. He's in hiding. He had been used powerfully by God to confront the most uh, powerful man on the, in the nation at that time, to tell him that God was displeased with him and his wife and and that the people belonged to the Lord and that God was going to chasten them until they learned the lessons that he wanted them to to understand. So we look at this and we think, well, what's happening? Is there something a little bit more profound, for for example, that's occurring while Elijah's in this hidden place? And I actually believe that this particular story opens up to us something about Elijah and what he went through that is very applicable and even prophetic to us today. Because if we could say, where are we to live during a famine? Come on. Where would you live during a famine, in a drought? Where would you live? Amos 8.11 speaks of another famine, not a famine of a lack of water or a scarcity of food, but a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. A time when people would seek to hear from God, but they'd run to and fro, but they would not be able to receive any prophetic revelation from God. And it tells us that there are times when people, due to the hardness of their hearts, due to the apostasy and the spiritual declension that's in a land, that God remains silent that God withdraws himself. And this is exactly what is happening in the times of Elijah. The prophet of God, the spokesman, the mouthpiece of the Lord, so to speak, has gone into hiding. And as a result, there's no more prophetic words coming forth. And when you look at this Narrative, and you you study the 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 passages of scripture here, and particularly the 16th through the 18th chapter of First Kings. We see that in the midst of all of this difficulty and this hardship, that the people do not repent. There's no indication that they're remorseful. There's no expression of them calling out to God, "Forgive us, Lord. We've sinned against you. We've done evil in your sight." Nothing. So God sends the prophet to confront the people later on. We know about that. And how long will you waver? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal, who is a a false deity that they worshiped, is God, then serve him. And then, of course, he calls down fire. They pray. The false prophets and the true prophet of God. There's a showdown there, so to speak, and and, and Elijah prays, and the fire of God falls, and the nation cries out and says, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And in just one false swoop, in just a short period of time, God brings back almost an entire nation to himself, a nation that was so callous, so unconcerned, so hardened, turns back to God. And it was just one man who was responsible for this. One person, one individual that was set apart for God, that had yielded himself 100% to the Lord, was used to impact his culture and to save an entire generation. And it speaks to us of how we too can be used by God, no matter who we are, no matter... How our age, our background, our ethnicity, our education, or any of these things has nothing to do with it. God doesn't look at our ability, but our availability. And here we see this man, Elijah, who was no one special, but he had yielded himself to the Lord. And God knew that because he had made himself available, that he could use him. So during this time when the famine is is just having devastating effects. Before God, before the fire falls, there's this interval of probably over two years where Elijah is hidden, hidden. God says, Elijah, hide yourself at the brook Kerith. You see, Kerith is more than just a place where he would experience provision for his preservation. Kerith is a place where Elijah would experience preparation for promotion. God was going to do a work in Elijah in a very deep and profound way when he was hidden at this place called Kerith. And I believe that today God wants to turn the hearts of multitudes, even nations, back to himself. It's not impossible with the Lord. God is able to turn this nation around. I'm not saying that everyone will be saved. God is able to restore nations, to heal nations. This is the God in which we serve, that he is a God of the nations. And he cares for everyone, and he's not willing that any should perish. But he also has a special calling on nations. We know that when we read in Matthew 25, when Jesus returns, he's going to actually gather the nations before him. The nations, and he's going to say, you know, the nations that are called sheep nations, and there'll be some nations that are goat nations. Sheep nations are those nations that really have turned to God en masse. They've, they've allowed righteousness to be the rule of their land. They've submitted themselves to God, and, and these are nations that will be blessed by God and ultimately welcomed into his kingdom. Then, of course, we have goat nations These are nations that have rejected righteousness, rejected the word of God. They want to live for themselves, live for sinful pleasures, live for materialism, live for whatever reason. But the bottom line is they've not, they're not exalting God. They're not allowing him to be king and and Lord of their nations. And these nations, the Bible says, will be rejected by God. It's a terrible thing. Again, we're not speaking about every person. We know that there are individuals that are righteous in probably every nation of the world. There are individuals that love God, but we're talking about the destiny of nations. God has a destiny for nations. God has a plan for Australia. God has a purpose for the Philippines, Singapore, all the other countries, New Zealand. Af- the African countries. God has a plan for every nation, and not just countries. Nations also means really more accurately ethnic groups. God has a purpose. What is God's plan for your life? God has called us to be part of a multicultural society. So when we say God has a plan for nations, in a sense, What we're saying about Australia is that God has a plan for us and he brings people from all nationalities, backgrounds together to fulfill his plan. It's amazing. And God wants to restore nations. He wants to turn them back to himself and his plan will be accomplished in the same way it was as in the days of Elijah. How was that affected? He calls... A people into the secret place. He calls a people into a place of deep preparation. You see, God can't use everyone. God just can't use everyone. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord scan the earth. 2 Chronicles 16 9. God's eyes are scanning the earth. They roam. They range to and fro. He looks. He looks. He looks. He sees people. He says, no, can't use them. No, can't use them. No, can't use her. No, can't use him. No, no, So sorry. Sorry. No, I can't use that person. But then he stops and he says, oh, there's a person I can use. There's a man. There's a woman. There's a young person I can use. Why? Because the Bible says... Because their hearts are yielded to him. That's it. Has nothing to do with any other qualification. But their hearts are yielded fully his, loyal to him. And I believe that the same thing is happening today. God looks at us and he said, I can use you. Then your heart is fully yielded to me. And there is a sense in which God can use us to to a certain degree, to to take us to a certain level and have a, a, a partial effect, but God wants to use us fully for his glory. But it's going to require a people that have learned the secret of being hidden in him. You see, The word kerith, we say cherith in English. The word kerith is a very powerful Hebrew word. It has at least three meanings. It means the place of separation, the place of cutting away, and the place of covenant. I'll go into each one of these. The first thing that God says to Elijah is Elijah, separate yourself, hide yourself at this place called kerith. Elijah, I want you to be very intentional. I want you to take special care. I want you to be diligent to go to this place and hide yourself there. Now, this is what the word means in Hebrew. Be very diligent. Be very intentional to go to the place that I'm telling you to go... And to find a place to hide yourself. I believe God has called many of us to go into the secret place, into the hiding place. But unfortunately, when he speaks to us, we make excuses. We come up with reasons why we can't go into the secret place. We're too busy. In fact, many of us turn a deaf ear To the call of God when he's calling us into the secret place. He's speaking all the time. God is always speaking. That's why Jesus said to him who has an ear, let him hear. Because... He's always communicating. He's always speaking. He always has something that is really powerful and significant to say to people. But the reality is, are we listening? Elijah was a man who took seriously the command of God. Elijah, go, hide yourself. And the Bible tells us in verse 5, So he went and did according to the word of the Lord for he went and stayed by the brook Carith. Very interestingly, when it says he did according to the word of the Lord, he went and stayed, that word can be translated dwelt. It means to remain, to settle, to make one's abode. It isn't, it doesn't have anything to do with just going there with the mind and, or with the, the idea that I'm gonna be here just for a short period of time. So I'm not gonna unpack. I'm not gonna put down my, you know, my, my tent. Sorry, I'm not gonna pitch my tent because I'm just here for a short period of time. The idea is the exact antithesis that God says to Elijah. Go there, make your abode there, pitch your tent there. Be prepared to stay here for a long period of time. That's what it means in the Hebrew language. It's very powerful. So many of us today try to keep our distance from this place of isolation and separation. You see, Kerith, for many of us, is a place of just mere periodic visitation. It's a place that we go to when things get difficult in our life. When we're having trouble when we're experiencing a meltdown, when we feel overwhelmed, then we go to Kerith. But we don't dwell there. It's a place of visitation, but God wants it to be a place of habitation. A place that we learn to live at. He's not looking for weekend visitation. God is looking for permanent custody of his children. He wants us to be a people who will make him our abode. A people that will make him our dwelling place. Kerit is our goal. Kerit is our destination. It's not a place we sojourn at temporarily on our way to our destiny. It is our destination. Why? Because Jesus is our careth. The Bible says in him we live, we move, and we have our being. We live in him. We move in him. We have our being in him. But many of us today have confused activity for productivity, motion for momentum, busyness for fruitfulness. But God has called us to a place of Abiding. A place where we learn to settle in him. Psalm 27 verse 4. David understood this command and he said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell, the same Hebrew word, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, today... He's not talking, you know, about going to a physical temple or a tabernacle. The house of the Lord speaks of the presence of God. He's not saying that we go and we, you know, camp out at and, and ignite church 24-7. What he's speaking about is our bodies are the temple of the living, of, of the living God. He is our shelter. He is our refuge. He is our strongholds. He is our hiding place. It also says that the purpose for David wanting to dwell in the very presence of God all the days of his life was to behold the beauty of the Lord. Wow. To behold the beauty. This is powerful, guys. The word beauty in Hebrew means delightfulness. Wow. Wow. God, I just want to come into your presence. I just want to worship you. I just want to spend time with you so I can behold how delightful you are. I can see you for who you are. We must stay camped at Carith. We must learn to make Carith a place of residency, a place of habitation, not visitation. And we do this so until we learn how to delight in him, his person and presence, more than even his promises, more than even his provision. You see, if the reason why we seek God, the reason why we press into his presence is simply because we're in trouble and we need god to fulfill a promise to answer a prayer or to supernaturally bring provision to us then when things go well we'll pull out we'll pull up our tent pegs and we'll move on in life and we'll never make carry the place of residency so david learned the lesson that we are called to dwell To become permanent residents is what that word means. In the house of the Lord. How do we know that? Because it's all the days of our life. And what? So we behold his beauty, his delightfulness. You see, until we camp in the presence of God, we'll never understand the beauty of his holiness. We'll never experience the delightfulness of who he is. So many people that hear about God, people talk about God, speak about God, but they don't know him. You can actually know God as you are known by him. The Bible says in one John three, that when we come into his presence for eternity, when we depart from this physical body, we will know him in the same way that he knows us. That's amazing. So powerful. It's a place where we dwell at, stay at permanently. Jesus practiced a life of continual communion with his Father. He lived in a place of unceasing fellowship with his Father. How do we know? The Bible says that we know because of the anointing that was on his life. We know because of the joy that he carried. We know because of the power that was manifested in him. It was a place of deep communion. The Bible says in Psalm 91 verse 1, He who dwells, same Hebrew word, makes his permanent residency in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Shadow speaks of protection. speaks of comfort. It speaks... Of God extending His very power, provision, and everything that we need. You see, it's in that place of Kerith that Elijah learned that all other activity would have to cease, but there was only one activity that he would be able to be engaged in, and that is the activity of knowing God, of communing with God. And I believe that the greatest enemy many people face is the barrenness of their soul. People, many of us, cannot handle being still. We cannot be alone. We cannot go into the secret place because when we do, nothing remains a secret in the secret place. Nothing is hidden in the hiding place. And while we are there, we see ourselves for who we are. We see ourselves for for a people that that deep down inside there's this void, there's this emptiness in our life and and when we're still and all our barren busyness ceases, we come face to face with Jesus and who He is and how without Him there's no satisfaction, no fulfillment. We see the hole that is in our soul. We see the emptiness and God wants us to be a people that know him guys that know him that seek him that love him that may carry the place of communion a place of uninterruption where we go there and we stay there until we learn to behold the beauty and the delightfulness of the Lord Secondly, kerith is a place of cutting away. The word kerith can also be translated to cut off. It's a place of purification, in other words. It represents a location of spiritual pruning. Jesus said, every branch that bears fruit, my father prunes, that it may bear fruit even more fruit. It's amazing. I find it very interesting that Jesus said it's actually the branches that are bearing fruit that he prunes. You see, some of us equate fruitfulness with no need for pruning. I'm being fruitful. I'm growing. God's using me. Things are happening in my life. Therefore, All's good. I don't need pruned, but the exact opposite is true. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You know, I've shared this before, but they say a grape, a branch on a vineyard, on a vineyard, a grapevine, that the branch, if it's not pruned, it can actually run into wildwood and be up to. 3 meters or 10 feet in length if it's not pruned. And the reality is that branch will not be effective in bearing fruit. So it has to be pruned back. Pruned back almost to nothing. And as it's pruned back, then it's able to produce fruit. And I find that it's, it's so amazing that God allows us to, to go through life to bear fruit, to show some productivity, and He doesn't deal with everything in our lives all at once. He doesn't say, "Well, you know what? I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to 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 bless you because you know there's this, 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 and this in your life that needs to change." No, God blesses us. He even uses us. And God says, after one season of fruitfulness and productivity. That was great. But now let's prune you back. Because often in our success, often in our seasons of fruitfulness is when we become complacent. And God says, there's so much more I want to do in your life. You see, many of the great men of God that we've seen fall morally. This is the issue. This is the core dilemma is that in that place where it seemingly God was using them very powerfully, they were not going into the place known as Carith, and allowing the Lord to prune them back. You see, God says, in that place called Carith, I'm going to prep you for surgery. How many have been prepped for surgery? God says, I'm going to prep you for surgery. Because there's some things, frankly, I've got to deal with in your life. It says in Exodus 23, verse 29 and 30, it's speaking about the Israelites entering into the promised land, possessing it. They're going to possess it. What was it? Everywhere that they put their feet, they placed their feet. God said, that belongs to you. I'll give that land to you. You're going to possess the entire land. You're going to drive out all the Canaanites, all the seven nations, and you will take this land. But then God says this. I will not drive these nations out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little... I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. There's a spiritual principle here. God says, I'm not going to deal with everything all at once. Because if I did, you'd be overwhelmed. If I did, you, 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 the enemy would actually just come in because you, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Because God says, it's not just a case of, of me removing things from your life. I have to fill that void with my presence. I have to put my nature and my character in you. So I'm going to just deal with a little bit at a time. I'm just going to do it little by little. I'm not going to deal with it all at once. It's a powerful principle. That God says, I need to prune you. And therefore, because carith is a place that we reside in, we don't just visit. It is an ongoing process all of our life. All of our life. God, prune me. God, cut it back. Remove those things, those thorns, those thistles, whatever would choke out your word from being fruitful in my life. Move it. Get rid of it. I want to stay pure. I want to stay holy. I want to stay on fire. I want to be fruitful. So God, get rid of whatever is hindering you in my life. Kerith is the place of cutting away. Kerith also means the place of cutting. Thirdly, the place of cutting what? Covenant. The word, it means covenant in Hebrew as well. It's a place of communication. What am I referring to? Very interesting. The Lord says, Elijah, I want you to hide by the brook. Now, I told you the word means to be intentional, to be diligent, to be even meticulous, to ensure that you stay hidden well. Make sure that nothing calls you out of that place or discovers you or interrupts you in that place of hiddenness. But the word hide. Also can be translated. Secret place. In Psalm thirty-one twenty, It says you shall hide them. In the secret place. Of your presence. The word hide. And the word secret place. Are the exact same Hebrew term. It's exact same Hebrew terms. God says I want to. Hide you in the hidden place. I want to make you a secret in the secret place. And the idea is God is saying, go into this place. Go into this secret place. So God says in Psalm 32, 7, David cries out about the Lord. You are my hiding place. It's the exact same word in Hebrew. You are my hiding place. God, you're my hiding place. It wasn't the the cave of Adullam. It wasn't the place where David hid from King Saul that it was his hiding place. Even though physically, in the natural, he did hide in caves, he recognized that God was his hiding place, that he was hidden in Christ. And he says, you protect me from trouble, and you surround me, or you encompass me with songs of deliverance. You encompass me, you encircle me with songs of deliverance. A circle, there's no breach. Everywhere I turn... I hear. It's like surround sound. Everywhere I turn, I hear. Songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. In Psalm chapter 3, David is hiding from his son Absalom. Absalom wants to kill his father. He wants to usurp the throne. And David is hiding. And he writes a song. And in that... He talks about how he laid down and he slept. Even though he was encompassed by the enemy, he was able to go to sleep because he trusted in God. God was his hiding place. And he would not be afraid. There's a place, guys, in him, where no matter what things look like, no matter what we're going through in life, we can find solace, comfort, protection, People look at us and say, Why aren't you stressed out? Why aren't you having a nervous breakdown? Why hasn't this sent you to the loony bin, you know? But because why? Because God is my hiding place. He's my comfort. He's my, he's my rock of refuge. He's my strong tower that I run into, the righteous run into this strong tower and they are safe, the Bible says. They're protected. So many people are dealing with anxiety and stress today. Why? Because they've not learned to make Kerith their abiding place. You see, Kerith was the, the deepest place of communion that Elijah had ever gone. Think about it. Here he is. No people. Wow. Have you ever been on a prayer retreat where you go away and you're alone and there's no people? Most human beings can't handle it. But I want to tell you that there is something in us. You know, Augustine or Augustine called it a God shaped vacuum. And he said, our our hearts only find rest when we find our rest in Him. And there's this place where God says you'll never find contentment. You'll never know my peace. Relationships won't do it. They're a temporary effect. They might help. But you'll never find true peace, soul, soulless comfort, until you learn to make me your secret place. I'll protect you emotionally. I'll watch over your mind. I'll keep you safe, even physically. I will watch over you spiritually. I will not allow your foot to slip. But I will be with you no matter how strong the barrage of attack is that's coming against you by the enemy. I'm watching over you. I'm protecting you. And just like in the days of David when King Saul actually went into the cave and his men went into the cave to find David, and there was David. Cheeky, wasn't he? King Saul is, the Bible says, relieving himself. And David sneaks up and cuts off a piece of his rope later on he says Saul look at this check your robe Saul looks there's a piece missing from his robe yeah this is David your servant I could have killed you and I didn't you couldn't find me if you wanted to because I was hidden in God yeah. you see there's a place where the enemy can't touch you there's a place Where it doesn't matter what it looks like, what people are saying, what the attacks are. The enemy cannot touch you in carry in that hidden place, in that secret place. It's a place of great protection. But it's not only a place of protection, it's also a place of communication. You see, the Hebrew word hide is not only translated secret place, but it can also be translated the place of the secret message. Look at this, Judges 3.19. When Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back and he came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. Guess what the Hebrew word is? It's the same word. I have a secret message for you. Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. The NIV says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Carith is the place where we hear God's messages. It's the place where, where he speaks to us, gives us direction, shares the things that are on his heart. Jesus said in John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because servants don't know the secrets of their masters. But I have made everything known to you. I've disclosed the secrets of my father to you, in other words. Wow, do you know that God has some amazing secrets? Paul said that he preached the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. What does that mean? It means that there are things that are hidden. The Bible says it is the glory of a king to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of... Of God's people. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search them out. God wants us to search out these hidden things. It's in that secret place that we can get direction for our lives. It's in that secret place that God will comfort us. He'll speak to us. He'll give us revelation. We'll begin to understand things in a way that we've never understood before. But it's as we go there, as we abide there, as we stay there, not just visit there. But we have to make it our dwelling place. And God says, I will speak to you. I have a secret message for you. I will reveal my secret to my servants. I will confide in you. You see, all of these are characteristics of what Carith represents. What Elijah experienced when for those years he was hidden in this place. It's amazing. And I just want to close with this one thought. The Bible says, verse number three, go to the east and hide by the Kerith Brook. And it says in some translations like the King James that Kerith is before the Jordan. That's what it says. Kerith is before the Jordan. The New Living says hide by the Kerith brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Kerith precedes Jordan. Kerith precedes Jordan. What is Jordan? Jordan means the place of descending waters in Hebrew. In Arabic, it means the watering place. And It's called the place of descending waters because as you follow the flow of the River Jordan, it actually goes lower and lower and lower until it eventually pours into the Dead Sea. So it is descending waters, but I believe spiritually it speaks of refreshing, of outpouring, of revival, of a place where we meet with God, a place where we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It was in the Jordan region where John the Baptist was baptizing people and calling them back to have authentic encounters with God. Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Spirit and went out in the power of the Holy Spirit in the place called Jordan. If we want Jordan, refreshing, revival, power, Encounters with God. If we want to experience the descending waters of Jordan, we have to go to Kerith first. There's no shortcuts. We have to go to Kerith first. How many believe that God wants to pour out his spirit in the last days? Then why are we not seeing it? Why are we not seeing it? I say, oh yeah, God's answering, he's doing this. Yes, on a very minuscule level. We're not seeing miracles, signs and wonders. We're not seeing great multitudes, 3,000 a day coming into the kingdom daily, being added to the Lord. The dead raised, the sick healed, sons and daughters prophesying, coming back to God. We need revival. We need Jordan. We need the descending waters of the Jordan. We need it desperately. But Carith precedes Jordan.